You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast, your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And this week, we are doing something a little different. Yes, again, you and I are remote, not in the same room. So our situation is a little different. I've got sort of all my things over here kind of piled up nicely. Um, and I, I hear that you you sort of prepped for this episode in a, a very particular way. Yes, indeed. Um, Kyle decided that this week's going to be a little more complicated than usual when it comes to drinking. And we actually have to work <laughs> for our drink. So uh, you're, you are the resident expert, at least between the two of us. So why don't you let people in on what's going on on this show? All right. So we are, this is a bit of a contentious topic when it comes to beer, right? Because this technically isn't something we allow on Untapped unless it is brewed this way and or packaged this way. We are, for this episode, making micheladas. These are basically a a Mexican icon, according to vinepair.com. So we're going to put this article in the show notes, but it's basically a Mexican lager spiked with tomato juice, hot sauce, and lime. And that's typically what you'd find in the U.S., right? You go to either a Mexican restaurant or you go to, uh, we've got a place in Santa Ana, in Orange County, over at 4th Street that makes a multitude of micheladas, a menagerie of micheladas that are all sorts of different kinds. They've got, you know, sort of the red chili kind. They've got some green chili kinds. Um, But in essence, it is a Mexican lager or some sort of beer mixed with a tomato juice. And then you can kind of add additional things on top of that. So over in the vinepair.com article, they've got a diverse... Uh, selection of one the, the beer cocktails from different areas. Like in Mexico City, classic michelada is served in an ice-cold salt-rimmed glass with freshly squeezed lime juice and beer. And that's it. It's It, it sounds far far less complicated than, than you might expect. That's true. And that one I've had, and I can get on board with that. As far as the, uh, the more tomato juice and... Um, hot sauce based versions i've i've never partaken yeah so let's see um the in other regions of the country the cocktail dorantes dorantes is the uh person in this this article that they're quoting um describes a michelada as a complex cocktail with condiments like umami rich maggi sauce or maggi sauce tangy sweet and sour chamoy sauce and fiery hot sauce. So they can kind of vary uh, depending on that. So I definitely recommend going and taking a look at either the chelada or the um, cubana. There's a bunch of different types of uh, micheladas, if you would, kind of all under that that umbrella of beer cocktail. And beer cocktails, Tim, I don't know if, how do you personally feel about them? Is, Is this something that when you see it on a menu, you're likely to check out or is the beer mixed with whatever kind of off-putting for you? Um, I I have had at least a couple beer-based cocktails in the past, um, and I don't have anything against them. I, I don't think I've um, – I haven't dug deep enough into that realm um, to really have a personal opinion. Uh, it just depends on how it balances it out. The um, you know, like the the Corona Rita, if you will, or even Margarita with the Corona in it. Uh, I, I'm not too keen on that, just because I I like 
a margarita as is, not with, um, you know, the beer flavors mixing in. Um, but I know a lot of people really like those. And there's been a lot more um, experimenting, too, in the realm of uh, of beer cocktails. So it, it's a thing, and it's interesting. And as long as things get paired up nicely, then I don't see any issue with it at all. Well, let's get into our pairings then. Uh, for the Michelada I'm making today, uh, the base beer is going to keep going with our theme of uh, sort of local to me. And I know I know this doesn't make everyone happy, but I'm doing another Alvarado beer. The reason why I'm doing this, though, is because I went to a restaurant that specialized in sort of, you know, New Orleans, uh, Louisiana type fare, and they were making micheladas there. And this was one of the best that I had ever had. And they were making it with uh, People Power by Alvarado and Threes. It's a collaboration rice lager with black limes. Comes in at 4.8 ABV, uh, which it doesn't necessarily matter because you're mixing it with a bunch of other stuff. And it's going to be sort of a low, nice, low alcohol uh, thing to kind of also sort of piggyback off of the conversation that we were having last episode. So uh, to kind of complete my whole <laughs> shtick here, if you would, um, I'm going to be doing, according to the Vine Pair article, the Michelada Cone Clamato. This is basically just a some sort of lager. I'm, I'm choosing my rice lager here. Lime Clamato juice, which is a... Com- a combination of tomato juice and clam juice, uh, hot sauce, Worcestershire, uh, salt and chili powder, and I'm I'm foregoing the ice here because I'm I'm I don't have any ice in the house, but uh, I also don't, don't want to I don't want to fill up the volume of the glass, you know, with ice. So water it down. I'm gonna just kind of do it straight, and uh, and that's gonna be that's gonna be mine. Tim, what do you have? Um, I'm actually following the same basic recipe you are, the uh, Michelada con clamato. Uh, but instead of the people power, I am subbing out one of my all-time favorite uh, Mexican lagers, the Pacifico. Uh, this is a 4.5% ABV beer. Um, it's uh, one of my favorites for hot days. It's an easy drinker. It's very noticeable with its yellow label, um, very classic, uh, and just one of my go-tos in terms of like the, uh, the whole basic sort of like Mexican lager theme, and I think it's going to go nicely here. I've got... Um, a nice little bevy of things set up on my desk here to build this. Um, I do have ice. I've got my Clamato juice. I've got my pre-mixed um, hot sauce thing going on here. Uh, and uh, basically just ready to see what happens. Yeah, and in, in place of the Maggie sauce that they recommend, I'm going to be using uh, some tamari, just, you know, some gluten-free soy sauce. So it should kind of hopefully pump up the uh, the umami character of this. Um, I am not using Clamato as it, as it is packaged, I'm doing a 100% tomato juice that I got and then mixing it sort of to taste with some clam juice. So close enough. Before we started talking about this, I didn't realize that Clamato was clam and tomato, and I'm really grossed out by that. Really? Okay. I, I, it's, again, this is, a, this is a day of first for me, so we're going to yeah. see how this goes. I'm just going <laughs> to start building here. Got to rim the glass first. Rub some lime around there. Let's see salt yeah so i'm i'm sort of doing the same but like i said not going clamato mixing mixing the two here i've got worcestershire um and the hot sauce i think the this is the thing that um i learned from uh the restaurant that i went to they use crystal hot sauce so this is sort of like a you know classic louisiana uh hot sauce that is more on the i think tabasco 
spectrum um, and just like pure hot pepper spectrum than it is on the salsa spectrum. Okay. So I I think this, th- th- it, plus this is super, super cheap. If you go into the hot sauce section, one of these bottles will run you like 85 to 90, 99 cents. Um, this is, is kind of my secret weapon at the moment. I've made this two or three times at home with the uh, the four pack of people power that I got. And this th- this is the thing. Like this seems to be the thing that really kind of sets it over the edge. And I go real heavy on it. Uh, the spicier for me, the better. I'm I'm honestly a fan of pepper beers. A uh, it, they just I don't know uh, an IPA with jalapenos just kind of does it for me. Uh, now, see, I'm I like spicy food, but I'm not. I don't like drinking spicy things. Um, I, I uh, same goes for uh, Bloody Marys. I'm just not something I ever got into. Um, as far as hot sauce goes over here, I just went with what, whatever I had in the fridge, which is. Um, just some good old tapatio. I don't know how that's going to work out, and it may be terrible, but we'll see how this goes. All right, so I'm rimming my glass now. Got the salt and the tahini on there. I mean, a cocktail is definitely apt for this, right? It, it is a <laughs> a mixture of a bunch of different stuff. And while while I do think the kind of beer you choose is going to impact the, the flavor uh, quite a bit, it can also be easily masked by everything else that you're putting into this uh it is not a sugary one a sugary beverage at all either so if you're if you're thinking cocktail and sugary kind of you know gonna mask the alcohol that is not the case in in this instance i i'm already wary of what i'm making over here (laughs) yeah i'm i'm kind of sad that i'm not in the office uh with you to do this because the smell that has got to be going on is is, it's got to be something magical and by magical, I mean probably pretty terrible. And include the uh, the mess that I've already made, trying to shake salt <laughs> and chili powder all over. All right, uh, now I've got I've got all the mix in. I feel like I have more mix than I should, but we're just going to go with what I have. Um, now we need our uh, signature bottle open, so I'm going to do that really quick. All righty, add the beer in here. Just looks really dark. Really dark red, you're saying? Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I usually go about half and half. Uh, half beer, half, uh, you know, mixture. It depends if you've got ice in there as well. I did. I'm probably lighter on the beer side, but... So that's that's kind of the nice part about this, though, is that... We, you can measure it out as you go. Well, and typically when it comes to your table, right, they're going to bring you the rest of the beer. In in the instance where you've got a Pacifico or something, the rest of the bottle will be there for, there for you. Um, you can then, you know, Consume a little bit of it. It's going to be probably pretty tomatoey at first. And then you can kind of dilute it with extra beer as it goes on. Oh, it's so good. Mm. Did you already dig in? Mm-hmm. Mm. All right. So I, it's, I've almost got a little bit of a burn in the nose taking a sniff of this. The, uh, the Worcestershire and um, hot sauce are definitely jumping out. I mean, I'm sure the chili on the rim is helping a lot getting a lot of tomato and just a heat straight straight off of that so mm-hmm. i i guess here goes nothing and it, this is all for you dude <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the wildest things i've ever had whoa so you get a little bit of the carbonation right just a tiny yeah bit. yeah i i went into it thinking like oh god it's just going to be like this weird hot tomato juice thing and the pacifico really 
it, it, up front, it's very tomatoey, but it slices through to kind of cl- like you cleanly get into that carbonation and the beer flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say that it's leaving a lot of heat in the back of my mouth right now. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of heat back there. Yeah, I tend to. <laughs> this is this is why I don't get into the chili beers, the like mm-hmm. IPAs with habaneros or you know all that stuff. Like I can't because it's that burn in the back of the throat that I just I don't mind spicy food because usually I feel like the the heat is more up front. And I apologize if I'm just I sound slobbery. I'm just salivating like whoa too. Yeah, I I do I like to lean and and I think that's the whole reason why this People Power uh, Alvarado and Threes collaboration is so good for me is that the lime character in the beer and the rice lager um, just it makes it so that the limes that I'm adding to this beer uh, makes it so bright and uh, such a contrast to the tomato and everything else that's going into this. I think I may have also added a slight bit too much of the chili powder on the rim. You said to go easy, and even the article says to go uh, 75-25 salt chili powder. I would say I probably got about a 50-50, <laughs> and that's not helping. Got it. Yeah, for me, I I like to do the the tajin or tajin. Uh, it's sort of a classic uh, Mexican seasoning that is uh, con limon, which is with lime, um, <clears throat> chili peppers, sea salt, dehydrated lime juice. Uh, yeah, it's... It, this can be kind of upsetting for some people, especially if you are not used to tomato juice. Tomato juice can Ooh. kind of be, it can be upsetting in general. But um, the feeling I get from these tends to be very similar to the feeling I get after having a sour beer because of the acidity and the just sort of kind of, you know, uh, burp quality. If you would kind of, you know, like it's, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. It's a little rough on, on the stomach pH. Um, oh yeah. And, and, yeah. Yeah. And, I'm feeling, I'm feeling you. And tends to, to be a little dangerous, um, for, for folks who are acid sensitive. But again, I, I, I really thoroughly appreciate you, uh, doing this with me. Uh, yes. this is, this is sort of, this is like the, my favorite experience when it comes to beer that is not about going to a brewery and, you know, tasting every single beer they have in a flight. And, you know, it's it is kind of akin to that uh, when I'm not at a very beer centric place. When I see a michelada on the menu, I, I've got to get it. Now, I would say um, after having a few a few more swigs on this, um, I don't hate it. So I'll start with that. But um, I definitely went more. It's it's this following this recipe, and I measured out the ounces of the hot sauce and the Worcestershire and the soy. So those were pretty exact. Um, I may have gone a little light on the clamato, and the ice and the size of this glass did not help to get all of the beer in. So I probably only did about three fourths of the bottle. Um, I, I feel like I like it, mm. but I want less heat and more beer. So let's see, let's see then as this episode goes on, because the the more you drink this and the more beer that you kind of add to that equation, I think it might, you know, kind of lean more towards what you're expecting. So, yes. And I think if I take a sip, uh, if I take a sip of the Michelada and then I follow that up with some more of the Pacifico from the bottle, it's a nice balance there. Mm -hmm. So 
I feel like I want I I want um I want my beer slightly emphasized by all of the ingredients, not necessarily a pure mixture. And granted, that's probably not following any of the tradition, but that's kind of where <laughs> I'm that's kind of where I'm leaning right now. Uh, so we'll see. So I've got to know: Have any of you tried a michelada before? Have you either made it at home or you know gone to a restaurant and had it? Let us know on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram by tagging us at Untapped, and be sure to go check out that Vine Pair article. It's a really good rundown of kind of the uh, the different types of micheladas out there, and they've got ingredients and directions for you to try it yourself. All right, now that we've sort of uh, chilled and mixed and enjoyed our micheladas, Tim, I've got to learn more really about the the history of this particular beverage because I, even though I've consumed numerous in my day, I don't really think I know a whole lot about the history or, you know, what the, where where did these come from? And that's, that's a very good question. We've kind of gone over um, what a michelada is and the fact that it's, you know, a prepared beer. So just a beer that's got some things added to it that uh, the chili powder is definitely sticking and getting to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we've talked about, you know, there's there's many different variations. This uh, Vine Pear article does talk about a few of them, but it, it's very um, – it's it's a very classic uh, mixed prepared drink, and you know every region probably has their own take on it with different sauces or chilies. But as far as the history goes, um, I found three separate um, three separate sort of theories behind where it came from. Um, the Vine Pear article does have one that um, is listed in here as well, um, but the first one that I found just from a quick googling. Um, actually comes from a La Brava Michelada Mixes website, uh, which is, I believe, a pre, you know, a pre-made Michelada mix. Um, and I I like this story quite a bit, even though it sounds very kind of like wives' tale. It says that the uh, the Michelada was first created in Mexico during the Mexican Revolution of 1910. Um, as legend has it, the infamous military leader El General Don Augusto Michel. He would lead his battle-hardened soldiers to his favorite cantina in San Luis Potosi to enjoy Mexican beer with lime um, and added hot sauce for character. Um, after days in the throes of combat, uh, El General Michel uh, felt the drink would lift their spirits and build character among his men. As a result, the San Luis Potosi cantina owner named the drink in honor of El General Michel by declaring it Michelada. Okay. Michel combined with chilada or cold one, basically, is what it came out to. Ah, uh, got it. All right. So there, there is sort of the like word origin. You're kind of tracing that backwards. Yes, exactly. That's the, that's basically the origins of it. Kind of how they put all the how it came to be or how the drink was, um, you know, named. Basically, that's cool. According to Wikipedia, there are actually two other popular stories. The first says that in the 1960s at Club Deportivo Postino uh, in San Luis uh, Potosi, the same area as the uh, El General uh, in Mexico, that uh, Michel Esper uh, began to ask for his beer with lime, salt, ice, and a straw in a special cup called a chabela, um, as if it were you know a beer lemonade or limonada. So the members of the club started asking for the beer as Michel's Lemonade uh, with the name shortening over time to Michel Lada. I guess kind of what what would that be like a shandy but with, you know, lime salt. and salt? Yeah. 
Kind of. It seems like it's kind of getting that that way. Um, as time went by, other sauces were added to the original recipe. Um, and uh, today it kind of contains the same ingredients as the chilada, uh, but it also has ice and chili powder on the rim. Okay. All right. So it's still another meat shell. Basically. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. Now, there's there's one more theory that's listed here on Wikipedia that I thought was interesting, which states that the michelada is a linguistic blend of michela halada. Uh, the word chela is a popular term for beer in Mexico. Uh, and when you ask for a chela, you are asking for a cold beer. Therefore, the phrase michela halada means my ice cold beer. Got it. And then you kind of just sort of shorten it down together. Yeah. Ah. I like, you know, honestly, of all of them, probably the the last is is more of a uh, what's the word like like the lexicon of people has sort of guided uh, how how you would describe this um, to your your bartender. Right. You just sort of kind of all spit it out at once and it, it turns into just sort of a, a word that you say or you have a couple of them and then you spit it out all at once. Sure. Exactly. Exactly. As far as like beer origin stories and history of beers go. A lot of the stories that we cover are just like so-and-so decided to try putting so-and-so and such-and-such and, such and mixed together. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's very matter-of-fact. I always really enjoy origin stories that have a little bit more mystery to them, a little bit more of that, like, um, you know, passed down from generations, word-of-mouth story that you, you don't know which one exactly is true. And it's fun to think that, you know, they're all true. Yeah, agreed. I, I think it, also in the culinary world, it it tends to be sort of a hotly contested thing. Uh, what was who was the first to make this up? And sometimes it it tends it could be multiple places decided to do this at the same time, um, and then eventually they just sort of ended up on the menu everywhere. But I do I agree with you. Like I love that there is some mystery around this. I love that. Um, it, I just love that it is sort of part of American culture as well. Um, and maybe it may only be as, as important as, you know, say like how, how we view, uh, Cinco de Mayo, right? Like there, there is not really a a history to this that has, um, uh, importance to the, the history of the country that we trip, we typically attribute it to, but, you know, it's sort of entered the cultural zeitgeist of, America and and tends to be something that I get to enjoy at different Mexican restaurants here. Yes, and it, it seems to be really taking a hold um, between the fact that a lot of places have you know started offering it. I'm sure that they have for a while, but you start seeing it more and more um, at restaurants. Uh, to the fact, it, you know, to the point where um, if I if I go and roll down the Seven uh, Eleven like I actually did this morning to pick up a couple limes, um, you can actually pick up like a pre chili salted. Um, giant cup that you could just pour your michelada into right so it's obviously like the idea is it's really spreading and i mean we're we're in southern california and you know the southwest so just to to that's going to emphasize it even more obviously um because of the mix of cultures uh in our region um but it's gotten so you know so much so that back in like 2010 a lot of major u.s beer producers they actually began marketing um, their own version of prepared beers um, illustrating a wide variety of recipes in the chilada michelada category um, and really kind of trying to tap into that Latin American um, market and population here. And I think also they are kind of the like the beer uh, connoisseurs version of a Bloody Mary 
for uh, brunch on Sundays, that kind of thing, right? When, where you're like, mm, mm, Bloody Mary sounds too intense for me. I think I'll go with the Michelada. Still kind of similar flavors, but uh, le- less intense. Yes, indeed. That's that's true. Um, and that, when I was putting this together, the first thing I was thinking was like, sub the uh, sub the tapatio for horseradish and the beer for vodka, and you basically got a Bloody Mary at that point. Like, yep. Exactly. So some examples of these like, you know, mass manufactured things, uh, Miller Coors, they produced a Miller Chill, which is a chilada style light lager with a hint of salt and lime. Uh, Amheuser-Busch also makes Budweiser chilada and Bud Light chilada, which is a combination of their lager, Clamato, lime juice and salt. So basically everything you need already in a can. Um, and actually in 2012, Tecate actually started offering uh, michelada flavored with uh, lime and spices. And as you were saying, you know, a lot of Mexican restaurants you'll see, um, you'll see this available. But I've also noticed that it quite a few Southern California breweries. I've actually started seeing them at least somewhat offering it once in a while. Um, I've seen it show up on Instagram for a few places here in LA, mm-hmm. um, where they'll basically take, they'll do the same sort of preparation, um, but use one of their own um, lagers as the beer instead of one of the um, stereotypical sort of the you know, Mexican lagers that would typically be in there. Yeah, and if that's kind of your local spot, like it's your local hangout, the brewery you always go to, seeing something kind of different on the menu uh, always intrigues me. Uh, I'm always going to go for that new thing, whatever it is, uh, whether it's a new beer cocktail or, you know, new new lager that they've got. Anything kind of to to push the boundaries of what's available at your local brewery is uh is all all okay in my book and one one fun fact too is that uh that i found also is that uh, in latin america micheladas are often believed to be a folk remedy for hangover which i believe uh, don't bloody mary's also have that sort of um sort of folk remedy yeah, associated kind of with them reputation too? for them i think so too i mean it's sort of hair of the dog right where yeah uh, i'll i'll just <laughs> i'll drink one of these things and the fact that you sort of get a uh a bit of a savory kick to it um it's very food like you know, it's it's kind of kind. It can be very very intense and feel like you're you're getting full pretty quickly uh, drinking these. Also, I tend to forget that they are alcoholic and love these sort of like spicy uh, tomatoey kick I get from them. And my can is gone now, Tim. So I, it, it's I just love these so much and <laughs> I, I don't know I don't know if I have anything more to say. This is probably the only time that we'll ever do a beer cocktail uh, outside of like pre-canned type things uh, on this show. But I kind of I kind of like that we changed gears a little bit here and got to try something new. Definitely. One of the reasons that I enjoy cocktails um, is because of the work um, that goes into making it, seeing all of the different, you know, liquors or accoutrement. Um, you know, cut up, mix, shaken, uh, muddled, whatever goes into whichever sort of drink you're having. Um, when I go out, usually if it, if I'm not going to a brewery or um, somewhere that I know specifically has a great tap list, I'm usually going out for cocktails. Um, and I like to find out, you know, what's what's the special thing that they have there that they've kind of perfected. And the whole idea of um, building it and shaping it and kind of making it for you um, while you do that with beer um, it's a slightly higher scale thing. You're not like preparing every beer for someone. Um, th- this kind of had that same vibe for me and it was really fun to be able to, 
put everything together and mix it. And um, I, I, I thank you very much for uh, talking me into this and for making me experience this finally. Now you got to go back to that 7-Eleven and get some Pepto-Bismol because this is probably going to be bad news bears for you. <laughs> it's uh, it's mellowing out. So I, um, I've taken and about uh, poured about half of my original into another glass and then added the rest of my beer to try and mellow it out a little bit. It was a little too intense for me. And this is this is a bit more drinkable for me. Like I mentioned, I kind of I want my beer accented by it as opposed to straight up <laughs> being mixed with it. Um, which I like. I realize maybe it's just first timer, uh, not being used to it, sort of issue. Next step is you got to order one at a restaurant. See, sort of like you know what what is their uh, idea of a michelada? Well, and also have a professional make it, not me with my um, plastic knife and trying to do it on my desk. <laughs> All right, let's take a look at some of the sponsored badges that we've recently released. The first one we have up here is from Lagunitas, and it is called the Lagunitas Sparkling Swan. They say just in time for the holidays with a D-A-Z-E, Lagunitas has something new for you to toast to. Sparkling Swan is actually a sparkling beer wine hybrid, which is very intriguing to me. I kind of want to track this one down for sure. Uh, They say it's, it's brewed with red wine grapes and super bubbly like champagne, but with a gentle kiss of hops and a light malt backbone, and a light malt backbone like a beer. Interesting. That's that is uh, mm, very intriguing because I know that the sort of champagne like beers are hot for this type uh, this time of the year. Um, and I I I'm, I've got to get this. I got to earn this badge. I but I feel like it's going to be a bit different because um, I feel champagne like beers aren't necessarily made with red wine grapes. That's what's kind of intriguing me a bit more. Because obviously... I I, want to know, like, as a part of the brewing process, the red wine grapes, one, probably, you know, what what type of grapes are they? And and two, like, how how are they added in that process? Is it kind of like the must? Is it, you know, what what part of this is added to this beer? I'm, I'm, I'm just... Super intrigued. I love the idea of a gentle kiss of hops. Uh, you can unlock this badge um, by checking into one of the Lagunitas Sparkling Swans between November 13th and December 13th. The next one we have up for you comes from our friends at Guinness, and it is called History in a Barrel. Um, I was actually going to uh, run through this in our um, article section, but this seemed a bit more appropriate. So I've got a little bit uh, more behind what's going on here. Uh, so Guinness launched a line of barrel-aged beers um, at its Guinness Open Gate Brewery and Barrel House in Baltimore, Maryland, which is their brand new facility. The series is kicking off with a bourbon barrel-aged version of its Antwerpen Stout, uh, produced in partnership with Bullet Bourbon. Now, have you? I, I'm not sure where you lie on the um, liquor side of things, but have you had Bullet Bourbon? I, I highly, highly doubt that I have. Uh, it's not my typical fare. Um, but I was also, like you said, reading about this, and it sounds very intriguing, especially on the sort of aged side of things. Yeah, and I, I'm a fan of Bullet. Uh, somebody introduced me to it uh, many years ago, and it is one of the um, – it's, it's really good for its price point as well. So uh, it's a solid one that I really like. Hmm. Um, now, the beer that they're using is actually being brewed at the Guinness Brewery in Dublin. And then they're aging it for eight months in bullet bourbon barrels in Baltimore. 
But even though this is a first, technically speaking, it isn't the first time Guinness has actually been quote unquote barrel aged. Hmm. Um, before the mid 1900s, all Guinness actually came in barrels. Got it. Okay. I mean, we were kind of talking about this last episode with the the transportation of kegs, right? They're plastic now. That's sort of the future of kegs. But uh, back before they were metal, they were all quote unquote barrel aged. They were just in wooden barrels. Exactly. Now this is a bit more obviously now it's a it's a more intentional for the flavor as opposed to just this is how we store it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's very interesting. Um, the launch of the new barrel aged beer program will likely not stop at bourbon, though. Um, they do say that after Bullet, um, Guinness has access to Don Julio tequila and the Kappa rum. I believe um, because all of these brands actually fall under the Diageo um, uh, umbrella, which is the um, the higher owner of Bullet and Guinness. Mm. So I think that does give them that gives them access to more of these brands uh, barrels to try different things. Obviously, we're only focusing on the Bullet bourbon, but I thought that was really intriguing. Yeah. More coming down the the pipe, I suppose. Uh, And his quote in here says, uh, we've already started to think about what we'll be experimenting with next, uh, but we couldn't be more pleased with our first go at using barrels from our friends at Bullet. This is from Sean Brennan, the senior brewer at the Open Gate Brewery and Barrel House. Uh, This beer is something special and one to be sipped slow and savored. Um, With its new line of barrel-aged beers, Guinness is uh, hoping to revive some of that history that they have there from their pre-1900s barrel transportation you can uh, unlock this badge by checking into one guinness stout aged in bullet bourbon barrels which is the official name there it's a little bit of a mouthful but it uh, it's nice and descriptive hopefully uh, it get, is a mouthful hmm? the, <laughs> yes indeed uh between uh, november 16th and december 16th so you've got a month to unlock this one Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and even a brand new tab handle for your Growlerworks UKEG. So go check that out. You can go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code podcast. At checkout, you'll get 20% off all orders. That's store.untapped.com coupon code podcast to get 20% off. All right, let's take a look at some of the interesting beer articles that we found this week. And this week we are going to be checking out three different articles from foodandwine.com. In my scurry to get everything together for today's show, uh, I found a few things on there that were interesting and thought we should cover. The first one we have up here is Heineken stockpiles beer so Brits don't run out after Brexit. Man, those Brits are not having good luck keeping beer around. No. First it was the heat wave in the World Cup, then it was the lack of the... CO2 gas, now Brexit. It's not in a good spot. Not at all. Uh, The article starts off, uh, it's been over two years since the United Kingdom voted to Brexit from the European Union, and an unsettling number of questions remain unanswered. But as the UK hurdles toward next year's March 29th official leave date, Heineken apparently wants to make sure there's no question Brits won't have to worry, or there's one question Brits won't have to worry about. Will I run out of beer? Now, that would be a question that I would be asking for sure. Mm-hmm. Adrian Coleman, who's the CEO of the British logistics company Wynn Canton, told Bloomberg that his organization is working with Heineken to stockpile thousands of pallets worth of goods, both ingredients for producing alcoholic beverages in the UK and imported drinks ahead of the March 29th deadline. Okay. <laughs> Just See, imagine the scurry here. 
Yeah, I was very curious about this. So it, it comes down to sort of the uh, ingredients for producing stuff rather than like, hey, here's a bunch of bottles or here's a, maybe maybe we can barrel age it and we'll just keep the barrels over there or something. Um, OK, now this is starting to make more sense to me. It's seeming a little bit of both, like stockpiling um, pallets worth of goods, mostly. Yeah, well, like goods, but also beer. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. OK, because right. obviously for for, you know, background. Once once um, the United Kingdom leaves the European Union, they have to work out import and, you know, excise taxes and all that stuff. And getting ingredients in there could prove to be more difficult or costly. So stockpile really is the is the right word. They are taking stock and, and shoving as much as they can into that into the area. Yep. Um, Adrian Coleman, he also suggested that additional supplies had already been set aside with uh, within British borders. And more were set to arrive in the upcoming weeks and months. Um, in a statement, Heineken told the business site, which was Bloomberg, that yes, some stockpiling was taking place, but the beer makers seemed to play down the Brexit angle. Uh, we always build additional buffer stock in the first quarter of the year to manage peak demand in the summer, Heineken explained. We have taken a small amount of additional warehousing space to give us greater flexibility to meet customer demands. That sounds like some PR spin to me. Attempting to provide an additional sigh of relief, Heineken pointed out that over 90% of the beer sold in the UK is brewed in the UK. I did not know that, and that's actually really cool. Um, but as uh, as they've discussed in the past, just because beer is produced in the UK doesn't solve all of British beer lovers' problems. Everything from ingredients to packaging to equipment can often be imported from outside of the British Isles, which obviously with this whole Brexit situation could prove to be a lot more difficult uh, after what is it, March 29th? Yep. So, um, so yes, the Brits might not run out of beer, but they may want to start savoring beers made with their favorite foreign hops while they still don't have any problems getting them. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, they, even their proximity to, you know, Germany and places like that. It's got to be kind of like, you know, entire businesses are built on top of that. I'm also curious to know, uh, this is probably going to impact stuff that is exported as well. I don't know the literal logistics of that and how, how that's going to happen or if it will ever happen. But uh, we we here in the States will probably start to see less from from there as well. This is that that's very true. Um, obviously, that's the stuff that they're all trying to work out right now, all the deals and all the deals that will go into place once they actually are no longer part of the European Union. Let's just fingers crossed that that all gets sorted out and that uh, the beer keeps flowing. Our next article from Food & Wine this week uh, is the champagne of beers will come in champagne bottles for the holiday season. Now, see, I told you, I told you champagne beers were hot right now. (laughs) Not quite the same thing, but you did tell me. Mm. Mm. Okay. All right. (laughs) Whether you take the slogan literally or ironically, no one denies that Miller High Life owns the longtime slogan, the champagne of beers. Oh, all right. Okay. But uh, for 2018, the Milwaukee-based beer brand is looking to further assert the literal side of the ca- of their catchphrase. Mm, drum roll, please. For the first time ever, High Life will be available nationwide in 750 milliliter champagne-style bottles for the holiday season. Now, this is reminding me about the um, back in our design episode. Yeah, I believe it was. We talked with Ryan about. One of the brands that was doing the like aluminum chalice. It's it's like a, an aluminum flute. What, 
Oh, and, that was and, Heineken, right? And a Luma flute, I suppose. Yes. I can't remember the brand that was doing that, though. I believe it was Heineken. Okay. It looked really cool, um, but they, yeah, it, they were individually packaged things. It wasn't like a, you know, your your bottle of Cristal, if you would. Yes, that's true. Um, it's it's not the first time Miller has embraced this packaging. Um, a spokesman for the brand said that these champagne bottles have made appearances over the past couple of years, but were only available in Milwaukee and Chicago. However, starting this month, uh, which would be in November, uh, getting your hands on a 750 milliliter worth of High Life in a fancy bottle should be relatively easy. Um, they will be available at plenty of participating grocery stores, liquor stores, and even bars that currently carry Miller High Life. And the suggested retail price is $3.49. I would I would have gone over, Bob. I wow, that's I that is very, very, <laughs> very low. Or significantly cheaper than most champagnes. Yeah. yeah that's that's the understatement of the year. So 750 milliliters of Miller High Life for $3.49. That's actually, that sounds like a steal. No, the steal were actually, those were the flutes. Those were the yeah, ones where yeah, they were individually yeah, yeah. packaged. And this is I actually, get, get this one's glass. Yeah. Okay. Have you, have you had Miller High Life? Check. There's an app for that, right? Hold Wait, on. Really? I have not. Uh, Miller High Life has a 2.62 rating from everyone on Untapped with 152,000 ratings. Have you had it? I have, and I went. Oh, there's a there's a picture on Untapped of the champagne bottle. Oh, that's good looking. Okay, it's pretty cool. You should yeah. definitely well, you go to the article and check it out. It, it looks pretty neat. It looks fancy. Um, as far as me having it, yes, I have had Miller High Life, and I don't really have anything against it. Um, uh, oddly though, I, I feel a little embarrassed to say this. I don't show any check-ins to it, and I promise you that I wasn't hiding it. Um, I remember Miller High Life was one of those beers that um, usually got picked up for a company happy hour um, at my previous job. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody would roll in with some of those, um, you know, like whatever people could pick up nearby for pretty cheap because obviously you've got quite a few um, employees to uh, provide beer for. Um, and I, I mean, it's 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 what it is. It's it's a very basic, um, very refreshing simple beer and i i i enjoyed it at the time you know just because it's something light crisp refreshing and that's part of the reason where i you know like these sort of basic adjunct loggers um, from big brands they have a time and a place in my opinion um it's not something i would go to regularly but if it's there and you know it's 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 got it's got its time and its place i love the fact that this beer uh coming in this new package could potentially change someone's overall rating of what they would give it because simply of the package it's i also love not just this big you know giant bottle i love the kind of the little shorties that they've got i don't know if you can see those on uh untapped i've actually i got one here that is a michelada with miller high life so good on you this is a this is this is a real good one. Getting back to the article, the Miller spokesperson, um, they explained that the bottles will be a limited run and that the brand, quote, will only be releasing enough bottles to last throughout the holiday season. Uh, so though finding the fancy packaging should be relatively easy, uh, High Life fans won't necessarily want to wait around to get one. Mm-hmm. Um, as for the bottles themselves, they look like an upscaled 40-ounce bottle uh, with a tapered neck uh, wrapped in gold foil. And really, that is what it, it does. It just looks like somebody elongated a 40-ounce, which is pretty funny. 
The labeling, uh, which utilizes the classic logo, um, it does have a bit more of a refined touch, and they do add the bottle, um, basically kind of giving it a classy addition so that the beer is more of a collective item, if you will. Mm-hmm. 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 you going to sell her this one, Tim? <laughs> hold, what, pick what, it up and hold on to it. What vintage of Miller High Life uh, big 750-milliliter bottle do you have? We'll, we'll do a, uh, we'll a five-year um, vertical. I am totally fine with that. I think that's a really good idea. There's, there's a, a, a scrolling through pictures. I found another one here uh, from a user, Chris B. And it is the champagne bottle, but with the beer poured into some wine glasses. It looks yes. very classy. I saw that with two, two wine glasses. It, it looks really, really, really good. I, I want some of those. I want some of those old, like those old school, really shallow, um, you know, like champagne glasses that you would see in like an old timey movie with the, the cut off top. Mm hmm. Like the, you know, like something you you pour a bit of bubbly into. Um, I want one of those with this. That would be really funny. You got to do the first toast of your your nuptials with this, right? Yes, exactly. Our last article from foodandwine.com this week is this resealable can isn't the first, but it might be the most practical. I, one, don't care how this looks. Who, who I don't care who's doing this. I want the resealable can. This sounds like a perfect invention for me for my double IPA uh, habit, mostly, because I I can't, there's no way that I'm going to be able to finish an entire thing if I've had even one prior to that beer, right? I want to, I want to be able to save this, savor it. I'd like a resealable 24 ounce bottle. Yep. Same here. Same here. I, I have you tried, okay, before we get into this, have you tried like the silicon caps? Uh, it's just, you know, the ones that kind of like slip over the top. No, I have not. I also, I think I have a, a champagne um, stopper, so maybe I could try that. Okay, yeah, that might work. I I have a plastic top for cat food cans, and I I don't think I've tried that on a a sixteen ounce can before, but might work. I don't know. Your uh, your double IPA will come out a little fishy. There's definitely something fishy about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so the the article says uh, the idea of a closable can is nothing new. Instead, the lingering question has always been, how do we implement it? Well, now an Austin, Texas-based company has unveiled a new stab at the closable can market. It's called Sip and Shut. Very aptly named. I like it. It's a can that features a little sliding aluminum window. Uh, Quote, we did our homework and know without a doubt that consumers want reclosable cans. Obviously, Kyle has spoken to that already. But the options on the market today are not attractive to uh, fillers, brands, or consumers. Uh, Bill Brandel, president of SNS Tech, the company behind the can, said in a statement, uh, "They mix plastic and metal, don't work well on existing canning lines, and are awkward for consumers to open." We focused on fixing all of those issues with Sip and Shut. Indeed, Sip and Shut is billed as 100% aluminum, uh, meaning unlike cans with plastic parts, these are 100% recyclable. Yay, I applaud that. Um, And unlike some reclosable cans where the piece of plastic or whatever it is protrudes from the top, these have the appearance of an otherwise normal can, which, you know what that means? It means that they're compatible with existing canning lines. Got it. Okay. Wow. That is that is such a very, very interesting design. Um, what What is this like? Uh, like a salt shaker. That That is exactly what you, When you buy one of those containers, 
uh, like a... You have to twist the top. Yeah, you, you kind of twist the top. You want you have to decide whether you want this to be like the wide mouth Mountain Dew can or if you want it to be just sort of like the, the, the sip, just sip, tiny sip, big sip, little sip. I like it. The SNS Tech also insists that their cans are easier to open and close than the alternatives that are um, out there already. The company says that the cans will be officially unveiled in December and they are, quote, expected to hit shelves with selected brand partners in uh, Q3 of 2019. So we have a little bit of time to wait for that. Still, bring it on. I love this. I, I think this concept is really, really cool, um, especially for, I mean, you can make those those like big stovepipe ones, right? Now you can fill an entire sort of growler sized cans worth of a barrel aged beer. Open it up, pour a little bit, save the rest. That now imagine, yeah, I was just, that's a good point. Imagine this on a crowler. This would be fantastic because one of my chief complaints about crowlers is you gotta have like both full pints and knock it off once you open it or share it with friends. You you there's no and depending on what you fill it with, like you said, if you fill it with something big and barrel aged and boozy, you might want to hold on to that and like have some here and there as opposed to being forced to knock it all out right away unless you want it to taste like cat food, I guess. Right. <laughs> the article does question whether or not we really need resealable cans. Do people really want them? Well, um, SNS Tech did a little bit of research and they show that 70% of adults ages 18 to 29 actually indicated a preference for a reclosable option, as which is kind of surprisingly high. But, I mean, it seems like a... It seems like a plausible idea. Clearly, history provides reasons to be skeptical of that stat. Though, to be fair, many of us remember a time when wide mouth cans were simply a new idea as opposed to the norm. So, can innovation can happen? Okay. All right. I would say maybe just uh, having a rule, anything 9% and above would be nice with a reclosable, you know, something like that. Um, or even like you were saying, you know, crowlers. If if it is a crowler, make it resealable. That sounds like a really good market to kind of lean into for, for this type of thing. I would be completely on board with that. Um, I do have one more thing. Rolling back to our previous article about the uh, the champagne bottle of Miller High Life, I kept scrolling through photos uh, while we were talking, and I came across one more. <laughs> this is priceless. We've got two champagne flutes with the champagne bottle of Miller High Life in an ice bucket. That's okay. All right. Hey. I love it. I love it, too. That's super funny. Just, just if you're going to do it, own it. All right. And I picked one out, too. Uh, there's one from untapped user Sherry M, uh, who grabbed a uh, bottle and is presenting it to you with the label side out over a towel as if it were uh, being presented as a, a particular vintage. Uh, by a server. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's a fine vintage. See, I, okay, if, coming off of the episode that we just did about photos on Untapped, I love the creativity. This this is exactly the, the kind of thing I love to see on Untapped, and, uh, and kudos to all these folks who are kind of being, being creative with this. this R- really neat. playing into it. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. All right, show notes are available at podcast.untapped.com. And if you've got any questions for us, or you've got some feedback either about the show or the app, we'd love to hear it. You can send it to us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's at Untapped Everywhere. So until next week, cheers. cheers.